0: Um, once again, listeners, you're welcome to another episode of Fugos Take. And um, today I have a guest on Alex um, Peters, and we'll be talking about four three topics actually. Um, that have made that have been making the rounds in the world of sports, especially um football. First off, we'll be talking giving our reaction to the Spurs Arsenal game that was played on Sunday. So um Alex, what was your take or what did you take away from the um, Not London Derby? Yeah, I mean, so I'm an Arsenal fan and I felt, you know, it was a little, I think the main feeling I had was frustration because I felt it was very, played out very, very predictably. I mean, I think, you know, if you ever seen one of these games before where Arsenal played a Marino no team, Team. You
1: know they're going to not give you many opportunities. You know they're going to try and hit you on the counter-attack and exploit it and especially in a way this team has sort of Tottenham have developed under the Mourinho and how it, you know, since this season they sort of established a very strong identity and then you know, we're using their pace on the, on the, on the counter-attack, using guy and using Son, that you know it was very predictable and once we allowed Spurs to get in front with, in, in, at the start of the game and then you had the goal late, late in the first half and you know that was set and you know then the second half you know it was just set that lead, those Spurs would have 2-0 they're going to sit deep and Arsenal with the way they've been playing this season are really going to struggle to break them down because this team is really lacking any kind of creative thrust at the moment you know they, there's some crazy statistic on the number of crosses that they put into the box but if you're playing against Spurs managed by Mourinho you know they're going to sit deep you know Wild and Eric Dyer quite good in the air, and, you know, I think Eric Dyer is suspect as a defender, but, you know, he's only suspect if he's isolated, so, you know, if he can sit deep and sort of rely on Hoiberg and Sissoko to shield him and just have to head balls away, he'll happily
0: do that all day, so I think, you know, very much Arsenal sort of fell into the trap that Mourinho had set for them, and, you know, the, the, the game, if you're looking from a Mourinho perspective, or Spurs perspective of the game, the game went perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Um Mourinho, he doesn't ever he doesn't allow the reputation of the team that he manages to get in his way. Whatever team he manages, he always plays defensively and just hopes um that the the opposite opposition makes um, a mistake. Um speaking about create creativity, you talked about creativity. what do you think can be the answer? Do you think maybe Ozil should be brought back um to Maybe give some creativity in the middle of the park, And um, also, what I want you to also give your opinion about is, do you think Arsenal needs a big number nine, since we are putting a lot of crosses into the box? Yeah, so I think to answer your first question about Ozil, like, I think, I think unfortunately, that, just that relationship is just gone. Like, I don't think there's any chance that they're bridging the
1: gap between the club and Mesut Ozil. And whatever the reason for it is, you know, I think it's probably a lot to do with the, the wage, you know, him not accepting the, the wage cut during lockdown and also the club being wanting to protect their commercial interest in China. I'm sure that plays into a role as well. But I think, you know, I think it's odd because I think when Atena came in, he was very, he was very clear because, you know, also had fallen out with Emery. Was really, was really struggling on Emery, and then so for Arsenal fans, uh, a lot of their sort of frustration with Emery was sort of focused on him not picking Ozil, and you know that Ozil sort of became sort of focal point of how he can like fix the team. And then Arteta came in, and Ozil was playing, and he was actually playing all right. You know, he wasn't amazing. He was nowhere near, you know, anything like his best. But he was certain he was adding something to the team, and you you know. He seemed to accept, you know, some of Arteta's demands about, you know, tracking back and all you know, and stuff, and some of the things that you know, you can quite, you, you, you people usually accuse also of not really wanting to get involved with. But now that you know that situation is such that he's not even part of the part of the squad, you know, he's not even allowed, not even put him in the in the squad I still think until January at least. And so that's, that's so I don't think that's going to be a solution. But I mean. If you look around the rest of the team, you know there's a real lack of forward attacking. Uh, the, the forwards are really out of form. You know, Lacazette has really been struggling this season. He scored last week in the Open League and they gave him a bit of a confidence boost. I thought yes, he actually played alright on Sunday. And then Aubameyang is really, looks just really aimless. And I think, I mean, for a lot of fans, they're quite frustrated that Aubameyang, who is this sort of superstar star Forward, and you know he's this sort of Rolls Royce of a striker. You know he's the one of the best goal scorers, it oh, should be on paper in, in Europe. Is ends up on the left wing uh, because you know in under our system he wants to send it forward to, to do a lot of sort of dog work of sort of chasing defenders, which he doesn't really expect, doesn't really imagine. I don't think he views Aubameyang I as like being able to do. And then, and then you look around the rest of the forward line. And I think you go to William I think they will brought Willian in and hoping that he'll be able to because he's experienced he's an experienced Premier League player that he'll be able to fit into Arteta's system and he would add offensively, but he's really struggled. You don't see him adding much and then you go further back. And I think there's a real disconnect between sort of you look at the base midfield, trying to connect that to the forward line, you know. Partey, when he's been in the team, has played very well, but now he's injured and then you look at the midfield options they don't look great Xhaka's uh, struggling I think as well I mean I think Xhaka I think had it I think it was quite interesting when antenna came in that Xhaka sort of had a, bit of a resurgence and I think when you give Xhaka quite a limited role and also you know quite clear about it, you sort of protect his weaknesses so you don't let him I be isolated in the transition you don't make him make him make sort of uh, that he able have time on the ball and stuff like that and you know where he's been sometimes they push the left-back further forward and then he slotted in there and they can sort of use his long-range passing to distribute. But now the situation is that, you know, they've not really been able to link the, that midfield to the forward line. And I think, you know, one thing that really strikes me is how different the team looks between Europa League games and also in the Premier League. So if you look at, I mean, I know there's a massive difference in the quality of opposition if you compare, you know, Spurs to... Mulder or Dundalk or Rapid Vienna, but one thing that you're seeing with some of the young players that are playing in the Europa League team, like Joe Willock or Reece
0: Nelson, that they're they're matching quite well and they're able, they're actually you know not afraid to take people on, which I think has become a bit of an issue in that there's no one in the in the in the midfield positions who's able to drive forward the ball and you know play the slightly more riskier pass into the forward line, and as a result you know really the. The Premier League team in the very listless, it doesn't really have much creativity to it. So you had the situation where on on Sunday, basically out of desperation, because they couldn't find any way to get through this low block of Spurs players and just relying on sort of crosses at the box of shortboard, sure you know, just weren't gonna cut it. Yeah. Um I think only Saka, I think Saka was <laughs> was really all over the place and was making some incisive runs and at some point he had to play he had to play left back. Um, speaking about left backs, um, what is your opinion on um, Bellerin? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a funny, crazy start. I think about the number of uh, foul throws and he's done this in he's two this season, <laughs> which is
2: just kind of ridiculous. I mean, I've always been quite a big fan of Bellerin, not only as a footballer, but also I think as a person, or a, you know, if you're talking about sort of social issues and yeah. how he's kind of being quite comfortable himself and speak about these social issues and generally I don't like people mock him for his fashion sense and stuff like that but I mean it's like I like enjoy that he's sort of comfortable being himself and not afraid to put himself out there I think you know one things I saw is that in the second half of last season through the cup
1: run you saw and sort of going back to some of his best form you know you saw that the pace which I think when he first burst on the scene was sort of people's attention was how quick he was you know, I think there was a there was a clip when he first first on the scene where he sort of runs back and overtakes Pedro they were you know implementing this plan and actually playing under our manager with very clear instructions and had this sort of Guardiola-esque uh, policy you know where you kind of micromanage just everything and how much more comfortable these players you had this sort of you know, redemption with Xhaka you had this redemption almost with, with Stafford as well who looked a whole different player now things are starting to turn and the team is sort of set onto a bit of a rot but you know the, 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 these players looking a lot more aimless than I think you know so it's not all hopeless. Like I think I'd be happy. The the signing of Gabriel looks quite good. I would be very impressed with him in defence. He looks very strong. But you do notice how much the team misses somebody like David Luiz in the team, who's someone who's able to pass it out from the back and also, to, but also isn't afraid to play a more risky
0: pass into midfield and actually break the lines. So, you know, I, I mean. It does say something about a team when your most creative fulcrum is it's your defender. Your backs. But I
1: think, you know, that's the situation i are
0: in right, right at the moment. Um, okay. Um, I think lastly before, uh, two things before we move on to the uh, the other two topics. Um, with, uh, David Dewey has been a very adventurous defender most times and having that um, eye for a creative pass um what do you think about having moving him to mid to the midfield entirely and then having having some other defender in you know, some other person play uh, with gabriel gabriel um in central defense while you have him in midfield and since he's already a defender he would have that work ethic i think that possibly um Ozil seems to be lacking at least certain thinks Ozio doesn't have the the work ethic. So, what do you think about that? And then um, maybe a little um, unfair—not unfair, but maybe a horrible question to ask. Um, do you think Spurs, with the way they've been playing, will win the league, or are I in the str- can win the league um, this season? Yeah, I mean
1: to take your first question. I'm not so sure about. Moving Louise into midfield, but what I do think is he is someone who really he does definitely benefit from playing in the back three. And when he's the centre of the three, then you know he's less he does less sort of uh, he's, he's less one on one defending, and you do have less of those sort of almost memeable moments where everyone on Twitter can go, ah, oh, classic David Louise, he's done something stupid again. And whereas you know when you have a back three, when he's put in besides two. Two defenders you can focus on that sort of thing and he can focus on what he does best, which I think he is actually, you know, people don't give enough credit for him. He is, when he's at his best, he is an unbelievable defender, you know, when you're looking at like heading the ball away from boxes, up and blocking, and organizing the team, you know. So I think, well, you know, the team at the end of last season, they did, when Arteta came in, he was working with the back three, and then he wants, and now I think he wants to move to a back four, but I think maybe. Just try and stop the rot and sort of get the team back moving, in the right direction. He might move back to the back, back three, and then you know you, so you can sort of get the width from the, the wide players here. So maybe have Saka and also maybe Saka and also maitland like Niles again on the on the wing back positions, and that way you might get more you more creativity from there. Now about Spurs winning the league, I mean I'm not so sure. I'm not quite sure that that they're strong enough to sort of. I think if Liverpool get into a good run of form and go on a run, you know, which I think I'm worried that it might just be on the beginning of, you know, they think people forget that they, they won sort of the first 20 games last season in the Premier League. They sort of an like astronomical number of points. So if they can get on something, anything approaching that, you know, maybe like five or ten wins in a row, I'm not sure Spurs are the team that are going to be able to, to keep touch with them. But what I would say is that I think you are going to see some real you know, fluctuations in, in teams' form from week to week this year, just due to the you know the, the the nature of the season, playing under this kind of COVID restrictions, where they're playing so many games in a short window. That you are, you know, I think you've already seen it in you know if you think about the the Villa game against Liverpool, where they scored seven goals. You are going to see more of these sort of crazy results and more of these sort of shocks with some teams.
0: You wouldn't expect to have been that good. I know Everton have sort of slightly fallen off the way, but I mean they started they started brilliantly and they had Villa up there as well. So I think if there was a season that maybe Spurs, a team like Spurs, which is maybe not if you're thinking about it, like quite at the same level as City or Liverpool at the best, some, you know, they to the slightly lower bracket than them. If it was going to be a season for one of them to win it, and I think this might be their opportunity. Yeah, for me, um, <laughs> I, I just don't want Spurs to, to win, to win it because I'm just biased and I don't like Spurs. <laughs> I'm just biased, so. Um, but me I don't want them to win either. But... <laughs> I, I know, I know. I share, I share what you said. Like, if there's ever a season when they can win it, it's such a season, you know. And, and then, but with the way Mourinho plays, I just suspect that maybe a team like a Burnley or a team like Elites, no, no, Leeds United, but teams that don't really want to come out, that don't really want to attack, those are the teams that would give Spurs a tough time because they would just say, okay, the honesty is on you, break us down if you can. And usually Spurs has that issue. In Europa League, they had the issue against um, LASK 3-3 draw, same thing against West Ham. It was 3-3 a 3-3 draw as well. Um so yeah, and I think also I mean if I think if, if somebody
1: if one of the key players to get injured, if you imagine like Kane or Son is out like for a few months, just the, the impact that would have on, on them I think would be
0: you know, I think would just be so detrimental. Yeah, because, because there's have. no system of there's no proper attacking system, you're just relying on two quality players hoof the ball to them and and hopefully they'll do something with the ball so if they're out like you said that'll be it for sports um i I don't want anyone to get injured but i will just love sports not to win not to win not to win league um so you said something about um covid and the fixture congestion and 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 like and all that so um because there's been some argue not arguments but debates respect to having three subs or five subs while you've had managers like frank lampard um jogging club pep guardiola um obviously managers of teams with big budgets <laughs> saying um they would want the uh, five subs um the rule or regulation that was in place um, after project restart, they would like they would have preferred if it was in place, and then you had managers of smaller clubs who've said, or other teams with smaller budgets, um, uh, who've said that's just giving the big teams too much advantage. And then you've had people like Guy Neville coming to say, even the even, um, coaches like your club don't even use their three subs, so um, essentially not being in favor of the. The argument for five substitutions. So what what's your own position on it? What do you what do you think? Okay, so I think there's a lot to tackle there. I think the argument which I have seen, which I think Gary never put about it about Klopp
1: or Guardiola not using their three subs when they have them, I think that's a little bit of a straw man because I think they would say, I can't use my three subs because I need to keep the third sub back in case someone gets injured Mm -hmm. in the last five minutes or something and then I'm left with ten minutes. So I think that's a little bit, you know, of a of a straw man and not actually taking the I think you know I think generally I think all things being equal I'm not very I wouldn't be in favour of having five subs because I think just generally speaking that it, the will favour the the better teams and they will be able to these teams which have deeper squads and which have more quality off the bench are you're only gonna and I think you know in the Premier League there is a bit of an inequality gap and you're only gonna end up expanding that but on the same hand I think I think the issue you have now is that, you know, you aren't dealing with a season which is unlike any other, which is putting like untold stress on these squads and on these players that they are going to play so many games in short periods. And if you look, I think I've read, I read an article that was talking about some sports, with some sports scientists and also some physios and stuff, and they're basically saying the number of muscle tear injuries for this time of the season are through the roof. And it's because they have basically had no preseason went from one season into a next and now if you think you know if you're looking a little bit further ahead moving into December and January you're like getting to the busiest part of the Premier League season where you know over Christmas they have a game, game on Boxing Day then they have another game a couple of days two days later and you're gonna I think you are gonna actually you know see, see this issue even come even more to the forefront when teams start being late, low with loads of injuries and teams actually have to rotate massively so I think you know given these current circumstances they should have probably followed I think there's a reason why you know most other European leagues kept the five subs and yeah. when they kept them in European competitions I think there was a little bit of maybe a bit of
2: almost Premier League arrogance you know that mm-hmm.
1: we must we can't you know yeah. that we we should be different we're, we're superior
2: in this yeah. way mm-hmm. so I think
1: yeah I mean I think generally they, and also just to protect the players so I think the way your club was talking about it with some of these issues that i think yeah they probably should have done it this year with the five subs but i mean now that they haven't done it at the start of the season i, I would think it would be kind of odd and not sure that it would would maybe it would affect the sort of competitive balance if they introduced it halfway through the season yeah you know i think you know it's, it, it does massively affect games right i think it does you know if you're you're playing a game against someone and you know they only have three subs then if you play Manchester City the next week and you realize that okay they have five subs so who else okay who else will have to take into account we by gonna bring up Bernardo Silva off the bench or Phil Foden as well. So yeah I mean I think
0: so I think that's an issue. I think also that well when we think about case okay, so that the lower team clubs that they that they generally are the teams which have been opposed to this, you know, I think your Klopp has been going off after Wilder at Sheffield United because he opposed it. I think also you have to take into account that you know these teams are thinking about. Okay, we know we know that we're already under such a disadvantage when we play these massive clubs. We don't want to be seen to be giving them any more of an inch. So even though that like it might be slightly detrimental to them that you know that they're not able to to rotate the squads anymore, they don't want to be seen to be giving even more. Of a, like a more of an advantage, advantage to the yeah. Clubs. yeah um for me i while i see the merit in, in saying clubs like man city or liverpool they have the big budgets they already have more um skilled players they spent um, hundreds of millions on their squad so allowing for five subs um gives them even more of an advantage more of a leg up over let's say, Sheffield United that would have probably a fraction of, uh, of a Man City's budget, for instance. But I would feel that even for the smaller clubs, it could benefit them in some ways because sometimes when, let's say, you're playing against a Man City and uh, you have like 80% possession in favour of Man City and you've had she- probably say Sheffield United, your players have been running for 65 minutes without the ball and maybe... You just need to hold on for a few more minutes to get the one point, or if somehow you're leading by by one goal, you could bring on three fresh, four fresh players, opposed to to three, to help you hold on um, and further um, to the end of to see the game out. Um, especially in this situation, in this COVID situation, restrict and, restric- and um, congested fixtures. If it was when you had no more C, when you had your normal one Premier League game a week, and things like that, you would have, no way would have wanted five subs, because sometimes it makes, it would make it look like a glorified friendly, you know, glorified preseason friendly, where you just have everyone coming on, yeah, you could just change your whole first team, you know, and um, lastly, before we leave this, um... Before we leave this topic, this particular topic, um, there's a suggestion in terms of how this could play out that would make it seem somewhat fair. That's where you have three academy players and then three first team players to make six subs. Um, so do you think that would in any way make it a bit fairer on the um lesser teams? Yeah, no, I know would I mean I'm not sure how easy that would be to to implement but if you think about like maybe a two and three you know where you can have three full first team players and yeah. to bring on two, two and two yeah. players mm-hmm. I think that might you know go some way to sort of assuage the
1: the, the worries of some of the other clubs that like, okay I know Man City can make five subs but they can't bring on five superstar players
0: you know I think that's be a good thing. Yeah. Um I share your I share your sentiments completely on this one. Um so um next topic or the next issue that we'll be looking at is the is a new proposed rule with respect to transfer of EU players. Um so previously you could once a player turns 16, let's say a player from Sweden or from Ireland turns 16, okay was um, it. Turn sixteen, the player can be signed by an academy in in England, and then you could play like and have the same status, so to speak, of um, in of of a, of, uh, of an English player. But now you now have a new rule that has increased the age. It's now eighteen years, and you can only sign six players. That is three at the beginning of the season, and then three um in january you know you have you signed three players in January, so you can only sign six of this play so you can only sign six and then for the senior team it will now be for senior players it will be more of a point-based system where you now start considering things like have you has the player played 75 percent of games um with this national team what national team does he represent are they in the top 10 or are they in the top uh, uh, five FIFA rankings. Um, so, what do you think? What's What's your opinion on on this whole on this um, uh, proposal? Do you think it's something that should be done or or not necessarily What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm not entirely sure it's going to be that beneficial for English clubs. But I'm
1: not sure that I, I think you know one of the things I think about is that how you know, if you're stopping the import of foreign players, are you just you are just gonna be producing inferior English players and that you know, they're actually gonna not be able to benefit from the competition that you will be able to get from bringing in some of the other foreign players. And the other thing that on the other hand I do think, you know, one of the big issues that you have which impacts the development of English talent, especially at the highest level of, of these these clubs, is just the pure stockpiling that numbers up that these clubs have. You know, if you think about like Chelsea, I don't know how many, maybe up, up to like 40 players on loan at different clubs each, you know, each season. You know, they, they being these players, not really, not looking well, for the most part to, to actually see them, a pathway for them into the first team, rather than just sort of brought in as a money-making, as a money-making uh, process and a money-making system where they can bring in these players and then sell them on to, Lower, like lower Premier League clubs or even Championship clubs where it's just going to bring in money for their economy system so and one thing you know speaking as somebody who's Irish that's, this might it's going to have a huge impact on uh, this going to have a huge impact on Irish players if you know traditionally Irish players have all been sort of developed at English academies you know the a long time long time history of Irish players almost exclusively basically playing in England you know you look at Irish players going abroad. It's very rare that they would go somewhere, which is not in England or in Scotland. So this is, you know, this could have a huge impact on whether you know we end up having players who stay in Ireland to be developed, or whether, in fact, you know, which I think could be quite beneficial in the long term, was whether they actually go further abroad for their football education. So if you know, they might follow. You know, I think, and I also this is happening. clubs are affording more opportunities for young players to get first-team football, and at a younger age. Whereas in England, they're seeing that their progress is sort of uh, the progress is stopped by this combination of these big clubs bringing in a lot of young academy players, but also they sort of like the stop in the players, which you know is, is preventing them from getting the opportunities in first-team football that they would need. So, I mean, I think in the in the long term, I think this might have a huge impact for. It. What do we see as the sort of development in in English clubs? But then also, I, don't, I do wonder that you know, will we just see that they just buy at a younger age? At an older age, sorry, but they end up just bringing in these players at 18, and she, you know, them waiting until these players are 18, or that they find you know some other way around these these around these deals. You know, I think if you look at some in Spain, there's been a long history of sort of, well, we can't bring in young kids who are uh, who are outside of but will get their dad a job at the club or something or he'll suddenly become the under the, the tense coach and then that's how <laughs> we bring in you know, the next Messi from Argentina yeah, yeah. whether you know I think sometimes you do try and bring in all these rules and stuff but if you would be dealing with these clubs which are as big as Manchester City or Liverpool or like the Arsenal's and stuff they are going to find a way of eventually you know due, due to their finances, um, financial might of getting the players that they want
0: yeah because um you could get a player that has multiple nationalities you know, you could have a player whose whose dad is American whose mom is German and then the fact that probably the dad has lived in the UK for let's say 20 20 years and the child is born in the UK or let's say born in England and has lived that long He's, he's seen to be in English then what happens when maybe the US um, under 17 national team sends him an invite, the German under 17 national team sends him an invite and then he opts to play for Germany what then happens to his status, yeah they kick him out to, yeah, to, out to say um, you've gone beyond, this club has gone beyond the quota for um, English players in the academy so um, this player and he's he's now a German represent, playing for Germany so he should be off, you know And then there's this um, other argument as well, that um, the best players in England should be playing in England. Um, Like Simon Jordan, the former owner of Crystal Palace, talked about um, Jadon Sancho, who's playing for Dortmund. He said um, he's one of the best players in Germany, in in England, one of the best English players, uh, rather. Um, and that he's only in Dortmund because he didn't get the opportunities to play um, for Man City, and so he's gone to um, he's gone to Dortmund and is playing in Dortmund. So, shouldn't um, more room should be made for players like that to be in the English um, to be in English football and play within England um, instead of playing um, in Germany? So, if, in my opinion, I feel it helps the players grow. You know, as Men grow culturally and also learn different footballing um learn from different footballing philosophies, you know. So um uh, so what do you think? Do you think he has a point that the best players who are from England should be playing um in England? I'm not
2: really yeah, I'm not really sure. I agree with this point because I'm not sure what stopped Jane and Sancho getting into the Man City team was that there was so many other sort of sixteen to eighteen year olds are like young.
1: 19-20 yeah. year twenty-year-olds players who were all who were getting in ahead of him at City Well, the stuff in getting the team was that you know whenever there was a gap in the team where do you go out and spend 50 million mm-hmm. so I think you know and it's the same I think with, you know, with Juven, I mean he
0: chose to go to Dortmund that rather month. than Manchester United and I think he, cho- he chose them he chose Dortmund you know and I think also people kind of forget
1: outside of England there are quite fun to play for Dortmund. Yeah. that in, in that you know, in that State yeah. and playing attractive football at the top of the top of the Bundesliga rather than, you know, sitting on the bench and playing reserve football at Manchester City. Then yeah. you know I think and also I think it's it's quite beneficial for uh for the England national team if you want to take that perspective, that these young players are going out and trying their hand to get getting, getting first team football, playing proper professional men's football at the highest level in the competitive league because Clubs in Germany or also in the Netherlands or in Belgium,
2: they don't have the financial power that the English clubs have amassed. So they, they are more likely to give these young players a chance, allow them to develop at a younger age, and give more you know have more uh, more faith in these in these young talented English players who might want to go abroad and further their opportunities. And I think, you know it's like I, it's, I don't know why they, they're so afraid for English young. players young players that go and play in the Premier League yeah. French young players go and play in different leagues if, 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 if the opportunities are there to go and play top level football rather than you know going coming in and out of the team I know Phil, I mean Phil Foden I know he's getting in the team this year in Manchester City but how many years has he been just playing academy football and being yeah. out of the team you need to go out and go play football I mean someone like I mean, I don't know if he went to the Championship but like someone like Mason Mount he went to the Championship to play Play for Derby, and now he's getting into the Chelsea team. So I think you know the important thing is 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 that they're getting the opportunities to play football. And there are undoubtedly more opportunities for young footballers outside of the Premier League. Just because if you're in the Premier League, you're playing for a club which has
0: huge financial might, and it, it dwarfs you know those clubs outside of the Premier League. So if they ever have an issue, they're more likely to look for you know a proven mid mid twenty year old professional than than so many from their own academy. Yeah, and, and you also have the pressure of managing um, an English Premier League team, you know, and then because of that, coaches use that as, or managers use that as an, as an excuse, so to speak, to say, we don't want, I'm not going to promote any young talent into this first team um, because I need to win. If I don't win, uh, my head will roll or I'll lose the job. And, and so they don't promote these players and the argument falls short where because it's not like Man City ha, has like um, five or six 17-year-olds, uh, Spanish 17-year-olds playing f- for the first team, it's just that these teams don't promote the young players because yeah. they feel the pressure that they have to win, you know, and they solve most of their problems by throwing money at it, so 60 million, 70 million to buy um, a replacement right back. You know, not even, there used to be a time when 30 million would get you a 25 goal, a season striker. Now, 80 million gets you um, a right back, not even a starting right back. (laughs) It gets you a a right back that's coming to be a sub, Uh, you know, so. Is is for sure. So, like, I, I agree completely with you. Let this have this free choice. So, as a player, you can say, okay, Jude Bellingham is seventeen. By the time he gets to twenty, you possibly would have played maybe hundred European uh, um, games playing for Dortmund, and you yeah. will never get that playing in England. Let's say you have you only have less six, seven teams. We can play in Europe. You have four teams that play in the Champions League and then maybe um, three uh, from um, six to six to eight yeah six to eight that can play in the Europa League you know and that's it but when you allow these players explore other clubs outside it also helps them um, gain experience playing for more for established clubs outside the the UK and One thing that's pretty obvious, but it doesn't seem obvious to people that that argue this is that the fact that you're playing in Dortmund doesn't now make it that you must play for Germany or or you're automatically no longer an English player. You play for Dortmund, end of the day you go back to England to play in the Euros, you know, so there's nothing stopping you wherever you're playing, end of the day you're back with your national team and you playing in whatever tournament that you're meant to be playing in, you know, so um, I think that's about the last topic for discussion today, but one last thing um, I just want to get your, um, your thoughts on um, it's um, Declan Rice <laughs> 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, because like and that's one problem, I think maybe we'll discuss that in another um, episode I have with the whole international thing How can someone play for a senior team? It used to be, if you play for if you play for the first, if you play for um, the age grade teams 19, under 17, 20s, you're good, you could still switch nationalities But once you play for your um, senior team, that's it But now, you could play for the, interna- the senior national team Of off the country and then still switch nationalities. You know, just I think they're also even thinking of making it even looser. Like then I think if you say if you had a like now if you play nation leagues
1: games, they're thinking of okay, now those won't count so you'll have to played them, which
0: I think is just crazy. (laughs) Just just crazy. Just crazy. Just crazy. Alright, thank you, Alex, for 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 joining me on today's episode. Um it's it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been really nice having you on. And um hopefully I don't know if um the next Monday's episode you you would join us again. Um that would that would really be nice um if that was possible. Yeah, well, I'll see I'll, I'll be in touch about my schedule we can, we can okay. have a chat for sure. Okay, okay, alright. Um thank you once again and um, do enjoy the rest of your evening. Sure, if you don't mind I just like to plug. Okay. Uh, plug well. Sure. Okay. Sure. so so I run the,
1: the, the scoreless of podcast and we sort of like to try and take a look at sort of uh, some games and some stories from from football history so we've looked at some world cup finals you know we look at the 1954 world cup final also the 1966 world cup final we like rewatch the game and then try and tell a few stories and a bit about that and it's you know it's quite lighthearted and stuff like that and then also, we've done a few interviews with some interesting people as well. We've looked at some different football books from, from which, you know, tell interesting stories. We've had, I mean, one of the main things we did was we had Nicky Salapu, the American Simon goalkeeper on, who was in goal when they lost 31 mil to Australia in two thousand one.
0: And we And yeah, we talked about that experience and how crazy that was. And also, which I thought was, you know, a really, like, uplifting story is how he felt when he won, you know, and finally won a game with his national team. <laughs> years, you know, suffering in some of the worst countries in the world. So I definitely, yeah, I would encourage people to check that out. And if they're we're, we're the ST Pod on, on Twitter and check some on our socials. And yeah, we always we have a lot of like interesting stuff coming up as well. So yeah, I would okay. encourage you all to enjoy. Yes. Yeah. So what what um, platforms can um, listeners get to listen to your podcast on? Yeah, it's, I mean, we're available on all on all your podcast platforms. We're like on Spotify, um, Apple App podcast. Podcasts, yeah, Google Podcasts. All of them, yeah, so it's it's through Anchor, and I think, yeah, they put them on all of them, so it's good. All right, all right, that's 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 nice. So, I know I'll be listening, I would like, I would like to hear, hear what the goalkeeper had to say. Um, I'm sure when it was 20 goals, <laughs> probably <laughs> wondering what's going on. <laughs> so, uh, thanks, Alex, for for being on once again, and thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, pleasure. Talk to you again soon, you all right, you too. Bye.